Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I'm Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. It's day 512, which brings us to Acts 21. And uh, I like that, 512, Acts 21, 1, 2, 2, 1. That's almost palindromatic. I like palindromes. Anyway. Uh, yeah, that's a nerdy thing for you. Anyway, if, you, if you're curious about the overall tally, we're we're heading for, I believe, if I've done my math correctly, 1,065 total devotionals, which means when we reach 533, we will be just past halfway. Uh, so we've got about, what, uh, 21 more days until we reach the halfway point of our three-year journey. Does that make any sense? It should be like the end of June, but I guess uh, whatever. That's when it should be coming up soon, approaching the halfway point we are. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your faithfulness to us through this journey, through your word. It's been a wonderful, enriching experience so far, and we trust that you have wonderful things in store for us in the days to come. So Father, please write your word on our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Lead us into all truth. Help us to glorify Jesus with what you teach us from your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts 21. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went on board and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left side, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais and were greeted by the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hand of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready, not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, 
and all the elders were present. After greeting them, excuse me, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews who have believed. They are all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or to walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he has even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down the hill to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered that he be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some of the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, Away with him! Away with him! As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian, then, who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying... And we stop there because the actual content of what Paul says will come the next time we're in the book of Acts, which will be in a few days after uh, Mike Telercio is going to take us through the next couple of chapters in 2 Kings 21 and 22.
So here we are in Acts 21. Paul is going to Jerusalem. This is perhaps for many, and even for me, maybe one of the most confusing episodes in Paul's ministry. We know he had a heart for the Jewish people. We know that he loved his fellow Jews. We know that he longed to see them come to know the Lord. And he's going up to Jerusalem, and he's being warned all along the way that bad things are coming. You know, these, this, this is not going to go well for you if you go up to Jerusalem. And so um, he gets this twice in this passage where in verse 4 it says, Through the Spirit they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Uh, so some prophecies were given by the Christians at Tyre, basically warning that this judgment uh, was going to come. It's not that, uh, not that he it was immoral for him to go, but that they didn't want him to go because they were afraid that he was going to get arrested. But the language here is just interesting because they, through the Spirit, were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. But it seems pretty clear if we go down to verses uh, 22 to 24, for example, we see that um, Paul is seeking to honor God and he's seeking to be, be a good witness uh, to those who are, um, who are in Jerusalem. Sorry, I'm going the wrong place. Chapter 20, verses 22, 24. Can't uh, understand my notes. So, um, he says that he's going to the Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit in chapter 20, verse 22. Now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So he's constrained by the Spirit to go, even though the Holy Spirit is testifying to him that imprisonment awaits him, and he's not sure what the outcome is going to be for sure. So, but then there are those who are, who are saying through the Spirit, don't go, because of their love for Paul. And then, so Paul goes, and, you know, Agabus comes and gives him this final warning. It's very dramatic, tying his hands and feet with, his, with Paul's belt, and says the owner of this belt is going to be bound in the same way. And that's, that is what happens. But Paul goes up knowing. Paul says, look, don't weep, don't break my heart. I'm ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And so... They, they all said, let the will of the Lord be done. And he gets there, and at first he meets with James. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus, who writes the book of James, not James, the brother of John, son of Zebedee, because that James, brother of John, son of Zebedee, has already been killed uh, under uh, Herod, um, the, the, the third Herod. <laughs> um, and so this is James, the half-brother of Jesus, and author of the book of James. And here's his point. Like, there's lots and lots of Jews, thousands of them, who live in Judea, in and around Jerusalem in that area, even going up to the Sea of Galilee area in Capernaum. There's all these people that are there in Israel who are Jewish people and who have come to believe in Jesus. And they're all zealous for the law. They all believe that as those who are Jewish and who are honoring the Lord and his word that they should be keeping the law. And they're hearing 
that because Paul has a ministry among the Gentiles, he is forsaking the law. He's teaching even Jews, all the Jews who are among the Gentiles, he's teaching even Jews not to circumcise their children, not to walk according to the customs of the Jews. Now, Paul walked this very delicate line because Paul is very clear that we're not saved by keeping the law. In fact, in Galatians, he goes so far as to say neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith leading to love. Only, only, the, only obedience to the commandments that are still binding, even says. And so, but to keep peace among Jewish people, at one point he has Timothy circumcised because everyone knows his father's a Greek and he doesn't want to create controversy. And the first place Paul goes on each one of his missionary stops is to the synagogue. But he doesn't compel Titus to be circumcised. Titus, coming from a Gentile background, isn't compelled to be circumcised. So he's kind of walking this line of, as he says this, in elsewhere, he says, to the Jews, I'm as, I'm as one who's under the law. But to those who are Greeks, I live as one who's without the law because they're not under the law. So he's becoming all things to all people so that by any means he may win some. So he's walking this delicate line of trying to be culturally sensitive and not offensive, but also not wanting to teach that the law is binding on all believers. And James is trying to work with him on this. You know, he's acknowledging in verse 25, as for the Gentiles who believed, look, they don't have to do anything except the things that we told them to do. That was decided earlier in Acts 15. They don't need to keep the law. The law is not binding upon believers in Jesus as a way of salvation. But for Jewish Christians who want to maintain a good testimony to their neighbors and who are in their conscience, they still feel bound to these things that they've that they've lived with for generations, they, they still, their consciences aren't free and, and they're bound to do this. And so Paul, for the sake of conscience, for the sake of the conscience of his fellow believing Jews, he goes under a vow and uh, he's a, a Nazarite vow, which means he's not going to cut his hair. Um, uh, so they shave their heads and then after that time, uh, they don't, uh, they don't, um, Sorry, let me, let me get my thoughts together here. So they have four men who are under a vow in verse 23. That's the Nazarite vow, which means they haven't had their hair cut in a while. At the end of the Nazarite vow, when that's completed, the time of purification is over, you cut your hair and you present an offering in the temple. It's usually a 30-day period of time. You're most familiar, I'm sure, with Samson, who had a lifelong Nazarite vow. But typically a Nazarite vow would be for a month, or two, or maybe a few months. Um, and so during the time of a Nazarite vow, you wouldn't eat any uh, any grapes or drink anything that's made from grapes or drink any strong drink or go anywhere near a dead body or cut your hair. All the things that probably are familiar to you from the story of Samson in the book of Judges. So there, that's what it means by they're under a vow. At the end of that period, though, you shave your head and you bring an offering. So they want Paul to join in with these men who are under this vow and for him to pay the expense for the cost of their offering. Paul goes with them to personally pay the cost for the, their offering. Now this shows that he is supportive of those who are still observing the law. Now there's times when we can get confused about that and say, why would Paul 
you know, bend over backwards to show himself observant to the law when he says such things in Galatians as like, you know, the law is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ and, you know, Christ is the end of the law for all who believe and things like that. Because there's a difference about the right theology of what is necessary for salvation and then what you do to make cultural accommodation so as not to be offensive to people that you're trying to reach with the gospel and also what you do not to offend the conscience of those who are under conviction. And Paul addresses some of this stuff like in Romans 14. Anyway, so it, it, it is a complicated thing to understand the line that Paul's walking, but he really is earnestly trying to be faithful and trying to do what he believes is best given the complicated situation and that he's a well-known Pharisee from a prominent family who was who was close to the members of the Sanhedrin, and now he's got this reputation of being what we would call antinomian or against the law, and he wants to show he's not really against the law. Uh, he certainly doesn't object to Jewish believers still keeping the law uh, out of conscience, but so he so he does this uh, in you know purification uh, in the temple. But when that time was up, when the seven days were over and Paul was going to be presenting the offering, Jews from Asia. Asia is where Paul spent most of his missionary time. Uh, this is where he was stoned and left for dead uh, at Lystra. This is where he you know, was run out of town several times. This is where he really met a lot of harassment in Asia Minor, present-day Turkey. And so they come and they stir up all sorts of trouble about it. And they're basically getting a mob going. And the book of Acts is very realistic the several times that it shows mob uprisings because mob uprisings are not coherent, not unified, not logic-driven. They're passionate, they're confusing, they're angry. People will join in just because it looks like an opportunity to cause trouble without getting caught. And so it's, it's a mess, like they can't figure out what's going on. And so the Romans come and put an end to them stopping of beating Paul and they're trying to figure out what's going on. And so they, he's bound and he's being brought into prison and the crowd is just incensed. They just want the guy done away with. And, and probably more than half of them don't even know who he is or what he's done wrong. They're just joining in with the mob in wanting to see this guy you know, torn to pieces, basically. People are corrupt in heart and mind, and mob mentality is one of the ways that we see the depravity of people. Even someone they don't even know, even a cause they're totally unfamiliar with, there are people who will join right in and call for the death of someone or call for just obnoxious things or do violence or whatever because because it just is, right? It's just like, hey, that's fun. That's something like I can join in on. i got nothing better to do right now. There's just reruns on the you know, on the Roman television channels and we'll just, yeah, whatever. So, so they're, they're just, they're just a violent, violent mob. And Paul wants to address them. And that's where we're going to go next time we're in Acts. Paul wants to address them. Um, and so he asks the tribune for permission. And the tribune is shocked that he even speaks Greek because the tribune's thinking he's this Egyptian assassin, uh, which he's not. And he says, I'm a Jew. I'm from Tarsus in Cilicia, which is a Greek-speaking area. I'm a citizen of no obscure city, which means I'm a Roman citizen. So can you give me permission to speak? Now, the, all of this would resonate with the Tribune to say, okay, this is a guy who is not who I thought he was. 
but he's a person who is a Roman citizen and who is educated and who's reasonable, I think that I should let him speak and maybe he can clarify because most of these people don't even know who this guy is or why they're there. So that's what we're going to pick up with next time. What do we get from Acts 21? Well, like I said, it's a confusing chapter, but I think it shows us that as believers, we need to walk a line of obedience to God's word, absolutely obedience to God's word and what his precepts are, but also a line of cultural sensitivity so that we're not trying to be disruptors or uh, disturbers of the peace. Uh, we're not to, to hold so tightly to things that we, we don't care whose feelings we hurt or who we step on in the process. We see Paul walking this line of saying, I'm going to be a man of conviction, but also of compassion. I'm going to be a man who follows the Lord, but who also accommodates to those with weak conscience or those who might be offended by my conduct. It's a very good example to us, a very Christ-like example of how to be someone who's strong and in that strength can be meek and gentle and patient with others. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, for your faithfulness, unfailing and good you are, O oh God. Uh, speak to us, lead us in your word, help us to have the wisdom and the discernment to know when to follow the strength of our convictions and when to be gentle and patient with those who don't see things as we do. Uh, not that we would ever want to be unfaithful to you, but part of what the faithfulness you call us to is to love our neighbors as ourselves, to be to teach patiently, to bear with the weaker uh, brother's conscience. And so help us to know how to do that uh, as faithful followers of Jesus, as those who also imitate the Apostle Paul and the example he sets for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's Acts 21. As I said, tomorrow and the next day, Mike is going to be back to lead us through the next couple chapters in 2 Kings. Hope you can join us for that. As always, have a very blessed day in the Lord. Mm -hmm.